song that the young lady sang for us, Stephanie wrote that, and it really does kind of sum up what John has been talking about in his epistle, that when God saves someone, when they have been born of God, there indeed is a new creation that is brought about, and he is at work molding us to become more and more like him. And so John is able to say, this is what a redeemed, regenerated person looks like. This is what God is doing in their life. And as we've been going through John, we've seen there are three particular characteristics that will be seen in them. They will have, there's a doctrinal test, and that is they will have a right view of who Christ is. There is also the social test that they love the brothers and sisters in the Lord. Those who have been born of God will love those who have been born of God. And then there is the ethical test, the moral test, that those who know Christ are seeking to keep his commandments. We don't do any of these things perfectly, but these are the fingerprints of grace upon one's life. And here in 1 John 4, he again, for the third time, is addressing the issue of love for one another. This is important to John. This is important to Christ. You'll know my disciples because they love one another. So this will be a fundamental characteristic of them, that they are growing in their love for God's people and seeking to love even as we have been loved. One of the things we see woven here in chapter 4, and as I've mentioned, this is a rich portion of God's word where it speaks to us of the fact that God is love and this love has been has overflown to overflowed to us in Christ in that he has sent his son to make propitiation for our sins but we see the trinitarian nature of salvation and what we're going to focus on today is the ministry of the spirit of God in all of this so it talks about the father who has sent his son and his son has come into this world to be the savior of the world. But as we get to verse 13, it's going to mention the Holy Spirit. As we think of salvation, it is a Trinitarian salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have all been and are involved in the salvation of sinners. And we might think of the Spirit as the one primarily that is in the application of salvation. We've already seen in verse 7 here that it speaks about those who love one another have been born of God. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who regenerates, who brings about life where there was death, who takes out a stony heart and gives a heart of flesh. This is the ministry of the Spirit. It is also the Spirit who is at work in the lives of God's people to help them to be sanctified, to grow in grace. It is the Spirit who illuminates, who gives understanding. It is the Spirit who convicts us of sin and promotes righteousness in the life of the believer. And so we see and we bless God that this salvation we know is a Trinitarian salvation. And today we want to begin just by seeing, first of all, the gift, the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. John has been talking about love that in verse 12, when we see love in the people of God in a heart that has been regenerated, 
Love has been perfected. This love of God has reached its goal in the transformation of a soul, of a being, and it's manifest that God abides in them, and they are manifesting this love of God to others. So they're becoming more like their father as they love one another. And so John says, as a result of this, we know that God abides in us. How do you explain fallen sons of Adam loving in this way that John is speaking about? Well, it is because God has saved them and God abides in us, he says there in verse 12. And then he picks up this on verse 13. By this we know. All right, now he's speaking in a personal way how the believer comes to know this in their own life, that God abides in them and they abide in God. Well, how do they know this? Well, we abide in him and he in us. And notice the last phrase, because here's the reason, here's the cause of this, because he has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. And so as we think of the ministry of the spirit of God, he is the one that assures us and works in the heart of God's people this knowledge that they abide in God and he abides in them. So among the many things that the Spirit of God does for a believer, this is one of them, is that he is at work in their life to give them assurance. And and this is the gift that God has given to us. The Father has sent his Son, and the Son and the Father have sent the Spirit to work in the hearts and the lives of God's people. And so this Spirit has been given to us. It is a gift. He, in, he resides in all of those who have been born by the Spirit. Um, 1, John, or 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I think familiar verses to us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? We think of the old covenant people, the Spirit of God, or God himself, dwelled among them in the tabernacle, in the temple. And now Paul says... As New Covenant believers, where does God dwell? Where does the Spirit dwell? He dwells in us. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. It has come to you from God the Father, and you are not your own. So the Spirit of the living God lives within the child of God. There is a real sense in which, as we look at the Bible, that the whole triune God abides in us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I and the Father will come, and we will make our home in you. We will abide in you. And here we are reminded that also the Spirit is a gift that has been given to us and dwells within every believer. In Romans 5.5, Paul speaks about the fact that we have been justified by faith. We read that earlier. We've been justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, Paul says that we rejoice. We rejoice in this grace in which we stand. I love that statement. We stand in grace. We don't stand in our own merits. We don't stand in what we have done. We stand in the grace of God, which we enjoy in Jesus Christ. And he says, we rejoice in uh, hope of the glory of God. But not only that, here's an amazing statement that Paul makes. 
we also are able to rejoice in our tribulations. Think about that. As believers, you are able to rejoice in your tribulations, knowing, here's why you can rejoice, knowing that tribulation is producing perseverance, and perseverance is leading to character, and this character that is being developed in us is leading to hope. And then Paul says this, now hope does not disappoint. Gospel hope will never disappoint the believer. We will never be disappointed that we have ever put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a living hope that will be uh, the full consummation of our salvation will be given to us, and we live in anticipation of that. But Paul says this hope does not disappoint because the love of God, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. The tense of the verb here, it's a past thing that God has done, and it remains so today. When we were saved, the love of God was poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as we look at the Christian, he is one in whom the triune God dwells. The Spirit is there at work in their lives. And the love of God has been poured into their life. This is the fruit of God's love. And they, therefore, become those who love others. Particularly for John, they are those who love the brotherhood. They love the people of God. We know as we look at the rest of the Bible, we are called not only to love our neighbor, but we're even called to love our enemies. But John focuses on this aspect, that the Spirit is at work in us to make us to be those who love others. And when Jesus was ready to ascend back to heaven, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He had been with them. His presence had been with his disciples. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my spirit and he will be with you. He will be another comforter. He will be like me, but he will be in you. He will be with you. And so here is the gift of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us by God's grace. And I want to make a clarification as we think about this. When we think about love for one another, love for the brethren, or even love for our neighbor, this love that John talks about is it's spiritual in nature because the Spirit of God lives within us. And so this love is different from what we might say is the love that is in the world. This is a love that is produced by the Spirit of God and it reflects the kind of love with which God has loved us which has been a self-sacrificing kind of love. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to bear the wrath of God in our place. And so this love is a sacrificial kind of love. It is an informed love. It is the scriptures that inform this love. It's not just our own ideas of what love looks like. And so we can think of the one another's of the scriptures, what it means to love one another, forgiving one another, serving one another, 
encouraging one another, exhorting one another, speaking truth into the lives of others, uh, uh, the lives of other believers to point them to Christ, to encourage them. So this love is, again, different from what the Kiwanis do or any other kind of group that does things to help people. The Christian is to love and, yes, to meet physical needs, but it's more than that. It is to meet spiritual needs and encourage and seek to see the body of Christ grow and to become more like Jesus Christ. And so this is a gift that has been given to us by our God, that the Spirit lives within us to sanctify us. And among, again, other things that he does, secondly, we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit and assurance John tells us that the Spirit is the one. It's because of the Spirit that has been given to us that we know, that we know and we are assured that he abides in us and we abide in him. It is the Spirit who conveys this to the people of God, that they truly are the children of God. How do we know this? Well, it's the Spirit of God who is at work in our lives as he is sanctifying us, to help us to see that he is at work in us and that God is at work in us and we are becoming more like Christ. And so this is, I think, encouragement to us as believers. As we think of the call that is given to us to love one another, sometimes that's hard, sometimes that's difficult, but it is the Spirit of God who is at work in us And it is the Spirit of God who will assure us in those days when we become discouraged. It is the Spirit who is at work in us. And so it is the ministry of the Spirit of God to do this, to give us this assurance. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I think this is really a, a wonderful commentary on the whole book of 1 John. And particularly as we think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit does in the lives of God's people. And we just want to look at a few verses. Look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. One thing that we note here is that every child born of God is indwelt by the Spirit of God. There are no exceptions. The Spirit lives within the life of every child of God. And then we might well imagine if that is true, that the third member of the Godhead dwells within us for the purpose of sanctifying us, that his presence will be known, right? He will will make his, his self manifest in us. And His ministry will be evident in our lives. So we read verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are living according to their flesh for their own selfish desires. They're like sheep going their own way. They may not be the drug dealer on the corner. They may not be the prostitute, but they're just living their life for their self, indifferent to God. 
And if you live that way, Paul says, you will die eternally. You will die. In contrast to that, he says, but if by the Spirit, there it is, the gift of the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this is a mark again of the Spirit uh, of a child of God, that the Spirit is living within them, bringing about changes in the life. Verse 14, for as many as are led, this is a present tense verb, we, we could read it this way, as many as are being led, they are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This will be true again, of every child of God. They are being led by the Spirit of God. That will be the ongoing ministry in the life of the believer. But if you will, drop down and and look at verse 16. And this relates to John. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So here is that precious ministry of the Spirit of God to speak to the hearts of those who belong to God, the children of God, that they might know and be assured that God indeed indwells them, that they have received and been blessed by this grace of God that brings about transformation. Back in 1 John, he goes on then to say that the Spirit's work is going to be manifested in this, verse 14. And we have seen, this will be the testimony of the believer, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. We have seen this, not with our physical eyes, but with the eye of faith. We have seen, we've come to know, we've come to understand this glorious gospel that God has sent his son into this world. And he's not just the savior of the Jews, he's the savior of the world, of Jews and Gentiles, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. What a glorious gospel, and we've come to see that and know that by the grace of God. And then he says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Here's the test, the doctrinal test. They confess that Jesus is the son of God. We've come to believe this. We've come to know this by the spirit of God who lives within us. And so this Christ is confessed. They testify to this. It's our privilege today to see Sophia be baptized. And there are ways in which we confess Christ. John 10 speaks about at conversion. If you confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we confess it at the time of conversion. I've come to trust this one, the Son of God, who was made flesh. In him is all of my hope. 
but we also confess him in the waters of baptism. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are confessing that we have become a follower of Christ in this way that he has prescribed of us through baptism. And uh, just in a minute, we're going to be doing that. But here is what is true of the believer. They have come to see and to know that God has sent his son into the world to save sinners. Paul said, among those sinners, I am chief. And we would all say the same, I hope. But he has come to save sinners who have nothing going for them. Sinners who cannot fix their sin problem. And we look away from ourselves, and we look to Christ, who alone is mighty and able to save. And we confess that this Jesus is indeed the Son of God. One of the things that we need to understand as we go through 1 John is this, that all three of these tests are important. We don't just look at one of them. There are a lot of people that will say, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they have no interest in really following Christ. John's not saying, well, as long as you confess Jesus is the Son of God, you're okay. No, these other tests are vitally important as well because this is what the Spirit of God is working into the hearts and the lives of his children. Well, I had too much sermon for today, and we have a baptism, so we're going to end there. And next week we're going to pick up and look at the wonderful truth that This assurance that we have is going to give us boldness as we think about the terrible and great day of the judgment of God that is going to come. We can have boldness because of Christ. And this assurance is given to us by the Spirit of God that we need not fear that day. So we'll pick it up there next week as we come back to 1 John. But today it is our privilege.